Hello, everyone. I'm here today with my next guest, Julian. He is a former or was a former corporate lawyer turned mental health advocate. He's a content creator, entrepreneur, a writer, and he is here today to talk with me and you about his mental health and the journey. He talks a lot um, about the mental health journey not being linear and how he struggled with hopelessness, isolation, that he had suicidal ideation and eventually depression. And we're going to talk to him today. He is going to help me understand this mental health journey. And I know he will resonate with many, many of you out there because this is real and this is an awesome opportunity to hear from someone else about what their experience is. So let's just welcome this next guest, Julian. Welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about this. Very happy to be here. Thank you for having me, Lori. Good. You know, let's just jump in. Let's just jump in. Sure. Where where did it start for you? Tell me about your journey. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the short version of my story is that I've always been the model student. You know, valedictorian in high school, Berkeley in three years. I had internships at the White House and top law firms. I had a really good GPA. I was accepted into... NYU School of Law, which is one of the best law schools in the country at the time. When I was 20 years old, I go straight through to NYU. I applied to transfer to Harvard and Stanford. The backstory there is I didn't apply originally. I applied early to NYU. So I applied to transfer. I get accepted into both. I attend Harvard. I graduate 24 years old. I get my number one job working in big law in Silicon Valley, sort of making the big bucks. This is like the colloquial next step of the success in the legal career. You know, I'm 24 years old in the California license attorney. Like this is this Crazy. is it, right? I've, I've made it. You know, I've done it. This is, uh, you know, the, the society and the world ahead of me when I was a young kid put this path of success in front of me. And I said, okay, I'll get it. And I went, and I got it. But <laughs> there's a lot of other things that happened on the way. Right. In high school, the first time mental health really, I think, impacted me. Aside from, you know, the sort of stressors of high school, not sleeping that much. I had stomach aches that were induced by working super, super hard and running track and field and leading my own community service organization on top of AP classes. Uh, When I went to college, this is where I didn't know for a long time that I was really suffering from social anxiety in my head. I just thought everyone else kind of had these recurring intrusive thoughts of self-doubt and insecurity and did I say the wrong thing at the wrong time just over and over and over? It led me to isolating myself eventually. And my second year of college, I basically spent 90% of my free time completely alone, which don't get me wrong, great for academics. <laughs> I, had a, I had an AA plus average, right? It's great. But certainly not great for fulfillment. And um, when my grandmother passed away, she was my best friend. This summer before my last year of college, I didn't know how to handle the grief and process it. And this is when things started to get really dark. I started to get panic attacks, hyperventilating. And about six months later, I started having this gagging sensation as if I was going to throw up and go to the doctors. What's going on? Is something wrong with my stomach, et cetera, et cetera. We get all sorts of tests done. The whole time, I've now stopped eating for the most part. I have stopped exercising. I can't really even hold a long conversation because I feel like I'm going to throw up. Nothing comes out. I should be clear. Um, and every single diagnosis handed down was you look perfectly healthy with no idea what's going on. So I go to law school and I just kind of suffer through this. I learned to manage it a little bit with chewing gum and mints and all sorts of stuff. I take the strongest antacid medications on the market for six years. 
Dexalent 60 milligrams for those who care <laughs> uh, because, because I'm fully convinced that it was stomach acid that was messing me up. Hmm. And uh, finally, when my stress levels picked back up, when I started working, I had this issue recur and it was much stronger, much worse than it had been in the previous four years when I'd been managing it. So I finally questioned after going into the doctor's office again and saying, here's what's going on. What should we do? The doctor said, okay, well, maybe we should do another endoscopy, you know, put you under anesthesia and poke around, see what's going on. And I'm sitting there and, you know, I hear the voice of my mother and my father and many other people telling me, you know, maybe there's something else going on here. Maybe stress is something that you should explore. Maybe like, it's not just something that you can go and get fixed by the sort of medical system. And I finally decided to explore mental health. That, that was, that was my first kind of foyer into the field or not field, but you know, phenomenal, yeah. which is all good. And, um, things start to look a lot better than the pandemic hits and timing could not have been worse. <laughs> I, uh, it was in big law and I was working a lot. I mean, big law is demanding as it is. Uh, the pandemic did not help. The isolation did not help. The sort of lack of leadership across the board and crisis that was 2020 did not help. So I didn't have my anxiety under control at all because at first I was just learning, okay, let me manage stress and get rid of the gagging. But I had no idea right. about the deep levels of anxiety that had entrenched itself in my mind. So things got really dark. I ended up becoming depressed over the course of that fall. Mm. And fast forward a couple of months, I take a step back and enter mental health treatment in my medical system, basically giving myself over completely. Like, okay, I have I hit a point where I was so miserable and had no idea what to do next that I felt like I had no choice, but to hand myself over in pure humility and say, you tell me, I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) Handed the diagnosis of severe anxiety, mild depression. And a couple months into my mental health journey was met with suicidal ideation for the first time, which was also surprising because I was getting better by that point. And I was, you know, doing all of the tools and taking, you know, going, going to therapy, journaling, deep breathing, all of those things. Um, you know, I, I realized mental health was going to be a lot of work and I loved the progress that I was seeing from working on it. Fast forward a couple more months and I decided that working in big law, at least at my old job as an attorney, just wasn't really where I wanted to be putting my energy. And I would have rather focused on my own mental for the time being. And so I told my folks and the firm and myself, everything I'd worked for this whole career, all of it. Now I'm quitting. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm going to do next, but I know that I'm going to work on my mental health. And we're going to see what happens. And um, you know, I'm happy to talk about what's been going on since then. It's been a crazy like eight, nine months. <laughs> uh, yeah. A lot of stuff going on. But uh, the one thing that I've been focused on since I've quit has been advocating for mental health and telling my story to as many people as I can, because I really think that um, this conversation is not being held and people are suffering a lot because of it. I agree with you. And, and I got a lot of questions. So before we go, yeah. <laughs> before sure. we go there, so let's, let's just step back to where you talk about stomach pain. So that I know, like, you know, you've got stomach aches, you think it's something, maybe you're eating, you're not able to eat well. What is that? Now that you can look back, you know, that's a symptom of anxiety, but you wouldn't have known. You would have thought, oh, I'm eating, I'm, I'm working, you know, I'm a high achiever. I'm all these things, but what do you think about the stress being held in the gut and in the stomach and in the bowel? And yeah. Yeah. I, so I, it, there, there's tons of studies on this and I think there's going to be a lot that we learn about how stress impacts the gut specifically, right? Be it stomach aches or gagging in my case or, yeah. or stomach acid, right? 
uh, heartburn, the, the ways that it can affect the body are limitless. Also, I, I think the bigger point for me in all of this is for every single person out there, and this is what makes mental health so challenging, how it affects your body is going to be different and subjective. And certainly the gut is a large one. I've seen many people have reached out to me saying that they've had similar issues, right? And, and doctors, I think, are aware for the most part, oh, maybe if some issues are happening, it could be stress-related. But at the same time, it, it doesn't mean that it's always stress. And it also does not mean that that's the only way stress shows up. You know, right. stress shows up in being tense. It shows up in uh, severe cases, rendering people blind. It can do yes. crazy things. Um, so, so I certainly think there's a lot to that that we need to explore. And certainly there's more that we need to tell people about because even if it's discussed on the fringes, the first thing that people are going to think of when you say you have a stomach ache is Pepto-Bismol. Oh, you ate something bad, right? The, 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 the default is always physiological. It is not sort of mental health induced. I may be misusing the scientific terms, but I think you understand where I'm going with that. Yeah, 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 I do. And then as a, you know, as a parent, I go, okay, so if, if somebody that, you know, one of my kids is having a stomach ache, I'm thinking, Mm-hmm. Like you say, I'm like, okay, so what did we eat? What did we, mm-hmm. oh, it's too much fast food. Start eating fruits and vegetables. Like you begin, you know, and, and it's no fault of our own. You know, no. it's no, not our fault as parents no. start looking there. It's just no. what you're saying is let's start the conversation by saying yes. it might be food, but let's remind parents to check in, Yes, you know, to check into those spaces a week later, two weeks later, watching because it could be, you know, something else. And when I, I want to ask you a question about it. Did it just feel like you weren't hungry anymore? Or was it just like, what was that feeling for you? Yeah. So, so in high school, it was sort of like a dull pain and emptiness. It was almost like an empty pain in my, in my stomach area. And it, it went away very quickly. That was the first time I sort of had the sort of symptom and it, and it, and it went away. Uh, in college, when I had the sort of gagging issues, it, it was more uh, a mix of heartburn with this feeling like I was going to throw up. So sort of like nausea related. And because of those two in conjunction, I didn't really have an appetite. Now, has that gone away for you? Completely. Be- it, never, it never shows up now. Yeah. And is that because you are speaking or is it because you're taking medication? Um, honestly, it, it's <laughs> the first layer and, uh, my, my ENT, the second doctor I spoke to right before I started managing mental, uh, told me when, when I, when we had a, we had the endoscopy scheduled and then yeah. I canceled and I said, I actually don't want to do it. I want to explore mental health. Right before I left his office, he said, you know, I've had patients who have things like this sometimes, and I'm really glad you're exploring it. What I hear a lot of the time is when people accept that this stuff is induced by mental health. It kind of just goes away sometimes. And for me, it was very much the case. I accepted, I'm literally doing this to myself. I'm mismanaging my stress and I'm in denial. Honestly, I'm in denial of the fact that my mental health is the thing that's creating the sensation. So I don't want to believe it because I don't want to have the stigma. I don't want to have the title. I don't know the uncertainty of it all, right? Whatever. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Because that's, that was my question. It's like you, how were you mismanaging it if you didn't know about it? But then right. you are responsible for what you know. You are. So then when you get the information, then you go, okay, but now I'm responsible. So now what do I do? Exactly. Okay. And a lot of, you know, being open-minded to the fact that you're having mental health issues is, is the stigma is so, so deep and mm-hmm. entrenched no matter 
we can say the word stigma a hundred thousand times. It's not going to give justice to just how deep the avoidance runs in people's minds when they think about exploring mental health or just wondering what it even is. And part of this, honestly, again, is because the conversation isn't being had. People don't understand at, at a basic level. I argue that it's fulfillment in life. I mean, this isn't just like hand waving words with, with medication and meditation, <laughs> yeah. all the various tools. It, right. it really is. Are you miserable? Are you happy? Right. Avoidance. And, and Let's talk about that. You use these right. words, uh, entrenched, avoid. Mm-hmm. These are really important words to me because yeah. these are key indicators of something going on with you. If you're avoiding. So can you bring us into your world a little bit and say, okay, you can remember what were you avoiding? So yeah. you talk about fulfillment and avoidance. So go ahead and, and enlighten us on that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, on the fulfillment side, first of all, it's like, if I were to talk to myself four or five years ago, I'd be like, are you really as happy as you could be with the fact that you can't even like go to the gym because you're like gagging on yourself, man? Like that, that can't like, let's say there's a world where you aren't gagging. Like you really tell me that world's not better. <laughs> and like, I'm sarcastic. So I would have to agree with myself but on the point of avoidance. I mean, here's, here's, I think mental health as a, a whole gray matter subject area breeds uncertainty because First of all, we never learn about, okay, I'm a, I'm a 94 kid. I'm, I'm a later millennial. Yeah, we didn't yeah. learn about mental health at all when I was in school. No. When I was in college, law school, we had maybe a seminar or two at the beginning and orientation about wellness, something, buzzwords, no resources, that's it. We don't talk about this. The stigma has silenced the conversation everywhere. Politicians and leaders do not speak about this, especially in the culture here, at least in America, I can say the capitalistic and grind at the top and hustle culture does not necessarily reward taking care of yourself being well, but it does reward and romanticize pushing and pushing and pushing. And what this did for me is created a lot of uncertainty as to what it would mean to explore mental health. I had no idea what to expect. And just because I was risk averse and scared to some extent, I would have rather avoided it and stayed in my mindset that I was in at the time. Wow. I, okay. So the pushing and the pushing and the pushing. So when you talk about society pushing, but we also as, as, um, and I'm only speaking from parent perspective because, uh, that's, that's one of my roles in my life. Um, you naturally want your, um, child or your teenager. Um, and you have these great visions when they're born, you're like, you're going to be, and you just, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm going to move hell and heaven for you and all that. And that's all great. And And it's, and it sounds like you're a very gifted, talented, intellectual being and an academic. And that's beautiful to me. And that needs to be celebrated. And and the focus and the drive to get you to that space in your life where many people are are would be going, uh you could be re- retire when you're 40 for God's yeah, sake. Like don't, you know, like you've got a good life here that you can go wherever you want and you choose something else. Um, which we're going to talk about later, but pushing and pushing and pushing. So when you push yourself, what do you tell parents or people, guardians who push their kid? Yeah. 
And it's, well, you've come so far and we've already, we're already a hundred grand in for your university education. You kind of got to keep going. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I I can't speak to parents who will value success over their own children's well-being. You know, frankly, like if, if you, if you know that the options for your kid are, there's a hundred thousand dollars on the table and you could either finish your degree for another year or you're completely miserable. You've told me that you're like having thoughts of self-harm and all these things. And I'm still going to tell you to go do it because of the money. Like, I'm not going to try to change the value there. Cause I think that personally, I think that there's a value discrepancy there, Yeah. <laughs> but, but in general, I do think what you're saying is true. And that a lot of parents and, and I understand why we want the best for the kids, period. Sure. We always do. Of course. Uh, what I challenge people to think about is and, and I and I make sure to say this caveat all the time in my advocacy work. It is not mutually exclusive to be successful, to have all of these things, to have the accolades to push yourself, and also to manage your mental. It's not. That is that right there is a false narrative that people have fallen into. Is oh, the only reason I'm successful, Julian, is because I pushed myself so hard and so hard. That's not true at all. Or if I had been, if I had known from a young age, hey, Julian, 10 minutes of deep breathing a day, journaling you know, managing your feelings, all of these things since I was 15 years old, I wouldn't have had to put all this effort in now that I'm 27, 28 to relearn a lot of these things. Oh my God. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, so there is a, not only when you get into your 14, 15, 16, people are saying, what do you want to do? You're in grade 10. What do you want to do now? What do you want to do when you're, you know, and it's these questions about that. Then they honor your greatness. You keep going. Right. But what you learn is how to not be. You don't, you're not learning how to sit in stillness and, like you said, meditate and be silent and focus on the body. You weren't. You were focused on something else. And now you have to unlearn that pattern in order to relearn how to take care of yourself and love yourself. Right. And I, and I think the earlier we start those exercises yeah. of training people to be mindful of training people, what self, why self-deprecation is not, not necessarily positive in the long term, right? Well, just so many basic like emotional tenants that like, we don't, we don't talk about. Yeah. Good. The earlier we teach that, the less work it's going to be for kids to internalize it, to learn it, to practice it over and over and over. Because ultimately, mental health for me, it's it's a question of management. It's not about. Look, I'm not going to speak for everybody. Of course, deep seated mental health issues and conditions. There's a lot that is. Yeah, I can say that it's manageable, but at the end of the day, maybe it's not. Right. But right. from my perspective, I think the conversation needs to be: How do we take all of this energy? that we are pouring into our kids and telling them directionally where to go and just craft it a little bit to focus more on training these skills for managing their mental health, because those are going to be lifelong skills. And also because of course, like you and I have talked about, this is a scourge that's making a lot of people miserable everywhere. So give me two pieces of maybe a, it would it be a skill or a tool, um, how do you begin two steps to train yourself? If you're in a situation mm-hmm. and you're young and you're just like, oh my God, you know, I think for, from what I've heard and what I know of some people in my life that I've talked about mental wellness is that you can be in high school and that's great. 
And then when you, when you graduate, something else happens because now you realize mm-hmm. that you could be alone in the world. You mm-hmm. could, you are kind of responsible. You can't live in your bubble for the rest mm-hmm. of your life. Like the regular responsibilities come to bear. And mm-hmm. that is sometimes a transition for a lot of people where, where it's just this overwhelming sense. So what would you offer and how would you train or teach someone a couple ways to handle that? The first thing that I would say is education. Okay. Like I don't, I don't care if you think you have anxiety or if you think you have depression or you have neither, you, you laugh me out of the room. There is no harm in learning mm. how the signs show up, period. <laughs> I'm sorry. When has knowledge ever hurt anybody? Never, <laughs> never, never. So never. I would first tell people to educate themselves okay. at a baseline because in, in, again, in my, my opinion, yep. a lot of mental health is educational because we're not taught any of these things and you need to manage something. You need to understand it at a yep. baseline. That's just how it works. And so yep. if you don't understand it, you're not going to manage it and you have to learn it. And so the first thing that I would say is at a broad level, just educate yourself, sure. read some articles, follow some Instagram pages. I mean, there's sure. so much content that's free out there today, you know, that, yep. that wasn't out there 10 years ago. Yep. And the second thing that I would say is train your attention span. And I say that train your attention span because being mindful, meditation, those are all great. Deep breathing. Awesome. Right. But at the end of the day, I think right now, a lot of mindfulness and meditation, a lot of these things revolve around a theme. Journaling, a lot of these things revolve around the theme of training our attention spans back up because we're in a world right now that, of course, has gone increasingly digital because of the pandemic, but has also completely fried our ability to hold attention <laughs> and have an attention span. And if you don't have an attention span, yeah, you are not going to be able to manage your mental health, period, because it requires discipline in refocusing and redirecting your attention over and over and over and over depending on what kind of mental health conditions you have, of course, at least for me with anxiety, that's how it is. So anxiety for you is in the, in your head, social anxiety. Talk to me about that. What thoughts are you thinking? Like what makes that happen for you? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny you say it's in the head. Cause I do think it's, it's sort of like the old quip thoughts create feelings, feelings create behavior. Absolutely. Right. And so like, uh, it certainly is in the head, but it, 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 res- eventually it lives in the body and eventually it, it molds my existence. Right. Wow. Um, but to answer your question, intrusive thoughts span a ton of stuff, right? I mean, for me, the social anxiety used to be, it, it, it revolved a lot around people pleasing, sort of like okay. over, over worrying about whether this person will like me in various ways, shapes, and forms. Like, oh, did I say the wrong thing? Or, oh, I better say like the perfect thing off the bat to make this person perceive right. me in the best light possible. Right. Um, and so it, it could span, right? The, thought, the thoughts could be regret over saying something that I thought was stupid. Or it could have been, oh, I looked so dumb when I said that one thing and I blurted it out, right? Or it could have just made me impulsive in the moment and made me say something that just wasn't very thoughtful because I was just so on edge. Right. And I wasn't fully thinking. Yeah. How do you... How did you learn to listen to your internal voice? If the anxiety in your body and in your head and in your action is reactive or Mm -hmm. cycling, Mm -hmm. how did you learn to feel Mm -hmm. the gut, that true authentic voice that's sort of behind the scenes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it, it, first of all, it took me a long time and I had to train a lot of my mental fundamentals by way of meditation, journaling, deep breathing for months before I really saw some progress here. But beyond that, one tool that helped me a lot, uh, one of my emotional coaches told me to name my anxiety something. 
So I named my anxiety Elon after Elon Musk because Elon Musk is a notoriously hard worker. And for me, that's what the anxiety kind of does to me. It makes me overwork myself. So I would constantly ask myself when a thought came into my head, is that me or is that Elon? And I would play out the conversation every time and I would debate every time. Right. And it, it took you know a while for me to like, at first it took me 20 minutes to sort through one thought. <laughs> Who right. is this? Is it this? Are you sure? Is it that? And I'm letting me get my journal out. Like it's not right now. It's instantaneous because I practiced it a billion times over the last six months. Yeah. Uh, but that depersonal depersonalization technique for me was very helpful and empowering because there's always multiple voices if you're willing to listen and if you're willing to challenge what you hear, because I think we just so often accept as truth, whatever thoughts come into our head, which is ridiculous. <laughs> that is absolutely insane. We don't control our thoughts for the most part. So no, uh, we need to be mindful. We need to challenge the way that we think. And uh, certainly naming it is one simple way to do that to, again, uh, separate out which identity is talking. Wow. I, I, um, are you familiar with the Michael Singer's book, Untethered Soul? I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Yeah. I haven't read it, but heard, heard good things. It's really good. It's really good. You might really like it because he talks about that narrative and, and how you let it go through you, um, how you let it, you know, it, it comes to you, but it isn't you. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how you can, you can think the wildest stuff, like the average person thinks bizarre things during mm-hmm. the day and they do think, oh my God, I'm going crazy. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, and you really have to learn, um, like it doesn't define you. It's normal and, yep. and let it go through you and, and move through you. Um, yep. talk to me about how did you learn in this process of, you know, um, motivating yourself by rethinking and reframing some of the things, how did you learn to move through the uncertainty of it all? Because that uncertainty comes with a, what if, should I do like, it doesn't come uncertainty. Isn't, isn't, isn't just this uh, weird feeling. It's like in the words, do I know it's self doubt. It's all these wild questions. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, there's a, there's a very, very, it's one of my favorite quotes, maybe okay. my favorite quote of all time by Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, yeah. who says, there comes a point at every person's life when the past recedes and the future opens. Down one path lays the path that they've always walked. And down the other lays a path of the unknown and uncertainty. I can't tell you which path is right, but I can tell you which path is more fun. And for me, past, you know, December of 2020, staring down my life that was mo- the most miserable I'd ever been yeah. on the pile of riches that were these academic re- awards and this job, I thought, you know, I see what this world looks like. That's fine. <laughs> I've, done, I've been there, done that. Yeah. Let me try this other world just to see what's going to happen. And sure, there's uncertainty, but it's scarier to me to live in this world when I know that the outcome isn't very positive than to at least give myself a chance at trying something else. So talk to me about hopelessness then. How did that work for you where, you know, if it doesn't define you and if it's not that, then where does hopelessness, where did that fit in for you and how did you work that through? It's uh, I'm, I'm very grateful that I think I've always been a very hopeful person in general. Okay. I knew that something was very off 
when, and, and this is almost how I conceptualized depression in my head because I had never experienced it before. Right. It's a sort of numbness, like sort of everything turns gray and you don't, you don't feel anything anymore, right? The highs are not high, the lows are not low. It's just numb. Okay. That was the thing that struck me as the mild depression kind of crept up on me during that year is that feeling of numbness. And eventually after the numbness, you know, remained, it bred this feeling of, like you said, hopelessness, because there's no end in sight for this feeling. There's nothing is changing. I'm not doing anything differently tomorrow or the next day. That's going to change my current situation. And because I knew that deep down, naturally, it's only going to make me feel disenchanted and unfulfilled and not excited for the future because I'm not happy today and nothing's going to change next week. Why would I magically be happier? Right. Uh, like I it didn't matter balanced. what you did, right? It wouldn't matter if you were walking your dogs or you were with a friend, that feeling, that gray space that you talk about was always there. It was always there. And no matter what, I think in general, if you don't manage mental It will influence and impact every single relationship that you have, period, because it goes to the core of your existence. You can't escape it. So yeah, it it was certainly there and present um, for for all of those things. Do you think that at some points in in, in your experience with this depression and stuff, you thought, I can get away from it? I think I tried. Um, yes, I think I tried to problem solve my way out of it for sure. I was like, okay, let me exercise more. Let me uh, right. do this project. Let me take on this other entrepreneurial thing that I think is more fulfilling than my work itself. Sure. Uh, so, so I tried, but it didn't work <laughs> because that's not how mental health works. You, no, you no. Mental health is very complex. You need to hit certain levers in order to actually have progress. And so, so yeah, I certainly tried, but it did not work. And personally, and I don't mean this out of a position of arrogance, but I'm sure. a very good problem solver. And so when I noticed that this was not working, that was the moment that I realized I need to go get help because I can't do this by myself, clearly, because this didn't work. (laughs) And when you got help, so you went to a medical, did you go to a therapist or did you just go to a, um, did you go to your doctor? Like what was your, or naturopath or what was, yeah. yeah. I I just went to my medical system and I said, hey, like, uh, can I just, I I think I need to get treatment for mental health. So what do I do? And then they're like, okay, fill out this form and then we'll get you into this therapy program. And then that was that. So I got into a, I was at Kaiser at the time. So I got a short-term therapy program that was essentially, um, it was like three to four months long. Okay. And the whole idea was problem solving therapy. So pretty interesting. It was, it was unlike any therapy I've experienced before. And I actually went to therapy a couple of times when I was younger. Uh, The whole idea was we're not here to talk about your feelings. We're not here to unpack trauma. We're not here to, (laughs) to psychodynamic analyze. We're here to how is anxiety affecting you? Oh, what can we do this week as homework to manage it period yeah. over and over, over and over for, for, you know, four months. And so it was, it was homework, right? And I'm a star student, Lori. I mean, come on, <laughs> homework with me. Easy. <laughs> like, give it to me. Give me homework. Exactly. <laughs> now that I'm graded. Oh my God. I'm going to be the least stressed out person ever. I'm getting a hundred. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, but with your, with your homework, so you didn't, was this cognitive behavioral therapy? Some of it was, yes. Some. At first okay. it was like deep breathing, like 10 minutes of deep breathing every three days, so, you know, journal for X amount of minutes. But then as I learned and got yeah. better, I got more advanced and turned into CBT and other things. How do you, um, I want to ask, I'm curious about boundaries. Yeah. So boundaries. Okay. Yeah. You're with people. You are not having a good mental health day. What do you, 
you know, if you speak up for yourself, if you say you're not in a good space, how do you protect yourself? And maybe you need to leave. Maybe you need to back out of something. How do you work through that and the self-doubt that goes along with it? Maybe there's guilt, there's shame, whatever. How do you deal with all that? So it was one of the hardest things for me to learn boundary setting in general in my mental health journey. It started for me as let me stop putting so much energy out into the world to plan things with friends that I didn't actually want to do. Like that's for me, it was, I was so deep in this people pleasing world. I had to stop affirmatively doing things. That was the first boundary. Let's stop literally pouring energy out to people that just should not have it to be very blunt because I, because it was draining for me. Right. No other reason than that. Then it was, okay, let me learn to say no when people ask to join me on things that I am doing. And again, I want to people please. I want to make the other person happy all the time. So let me practice. And it was not easy sitting in that feeling of uncomfortableness as a people pleasing person with that habit. There's no way around it. I was actually just talking to my community about this last night about boundaries. You have to sit in that feeling of uncomfortableness, but it gets easier over time because it's a muscle like everything else. And so over time, even though, and there were, there were misses, there were times where I succumbed and I people pleased. There still are, right? It's not perfect. yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but ultimately I knew that it was necessary for me to reach that next layer of call it whatever you want, mental health management, sure. being energized, getting the life that I actually wanted instead of just having this almost uh, narrative of codependency of if that person's happy, then I'll be happy because that's not, that's not what life is about. <laughs> no. like it's okay to do something nice for somebody because you want to do something nice for somebody. It's not in my opinion sustainable to do something nice for someone simply because their happiness will make you happy. And that's how you make yourself happy is by making other people fulfilled. Um, so it's not easy boundary setting and there's a lot I could say on it, but I, I think the, the crux of it is it will get easier over time. And I mean, look, I last uh, two weekends ago, I had a planned trip to Chicago with a, with a close high school friend and I was not feeling great the night yeah. before. And I told them, look, I'm, I'm bowing out. I can't do it. I need to rest. Yep. That's it. And I told them, you know, mental health, I need to rest. And they were very understanding. They were very compassionate, right? All, all of these fears that I think we've engineered in our head, they're really just in our head <laughs> about how these people are going to respond, right? If you set a boundary. And let me also say, if that's not the case, and if my friend said, wow, you suck, then you're not really my friend. And I'm actually, you know, listen, like it may suck for a lot of people to have to face that reality that if I set this boundary, this person's going to respond in a way I really don't want because I love hanging out with this person. But ultimately, we can't sell ourselves short here. No, you we, can't. We have to ourselves first. But what if you say, what if, what if this happens? What if your friend says, well, but we paid for a hotel room. This is going to be really hard to, um, you know, just cancel the night before or the day before. And I need you to be reliable. I need you to say, like, what if your friend pushes back at you? Yeah. yeah. Right. So I'd say, so, so my personal response, like, yeah, look, I'll pay for half of it, whatever. Like, I am sorry. I really am. Okay. You want me to be reliable? Okay. Noted for the future. Hmm. Finn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Like I, and listen, I, I, and I know it's not that easy for everybody. I like historically, I, as ironic as it is, I've, I have a very, very low tolerance for people treating me poorly. Ironically, <laughs> given that I people please like everyone all the time and like uh, something I've been unlearning, but no, seriously. I mean, look, if someone's going to, it's, it's all a matter of reasonableness. And reasonableness depends on the individual, depends on the subjective feeling of like, what do I want from this relationship? And personally, if if I get pushback from someone when I'm giving them a good hearted explanation for why I'm canceling something because I need to for my mental health, uh, I'm going to be skeptical of you as a friend off the bat. 
But what if they say to you, but what if they say to you, you've canceled on me 10 times for mental health and this is kind of hard for me now. Then let's not, you're right. You're right. And I'm really sorry for all 10. I think let's not plan another one until I'm really ready. So just stay tuned. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, because what you're not doing there, Julian, and this is why I'm asking you these questions, because it's helping someone who's going to be making a decision this weekend. And, And I think that that is where you aren't doubting yourself. Yes. 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 And you are providing consistency. Yes. You are also saying to your body, you can trust me. Yep. That I will be the advocate for you. You are giving me the body warning. I'm going to take that a step further with the verbal warning. Yep. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Suicidal ideation. Yeah. This is really serious. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, do you talk about that much? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm very open with it. Yep. I think there's a lot that needs to be said about it that is not being said. So would you like to be able to say what you feel like you need to say? I do not understand this piece and I'd love you to give me, like, teach me about this. Yeah, sure. I mean, so look, I, uh, I think the ideal, the idea and concept of suicidal ideation varies. And if, if <laughs> be honest with you, if there's anything that's shocked me, it's that I have implicitly taught people what suicidal ideation is because they thought it was normal their whole lives and they didn't understand or realize that it was suicidal ideation. But the first time this happened to me was a couple of months in my mental health journey and I'm sitting in the bed and things are going well. My mental health journey is progressing. I'm getting happier. Boundary settings are going well. Journaling is going well. Things are all looking up. Yeah. And out of nowhere, a thought comes in my head yeah. that says, Julian, life is just work now. What's the point of this all anyway? Wouldn't it just be easier to end things? And I sit there for a moment and I pause. I'm like, what the hell was that? I've never seen or heard this before. Wow. And I'm, I'm lucky in that way. I'm very grateful in that way, right? Yeah. But I'm, you know, and, I, and I'm smart enough at the time to recognize uh, there's been a rough year. <laughs> Depression, yeah. anxiety, all these things. Yeah. But this is serious stuff now, like you said, because I've never grappled with this sort of ideation before. I've never had this before. No. But just like that, it showed up. And it taught me a lot of lessons, right? Just about, of course, about how seriously deep in there I was also about the way that mental health, you can foment the sort of ideation. It's a formula to some extent. If you isolate someone, you put them through all these things, you don't manage mental. It's a natural consequence. It is, it is on the path. There's, there's no avoiding it. It is the next step. Okay. Um, and, and more than that, I mean, I think for me, that's what the thought sort of vocalized as, but I think deeper than that, if you identify the feeling it's a feeling that life isn't worth living anymore, right? And so I think depending on how folks conceptualize it, you can think of it as ideation for, right, not wanting to be around, or you can think of it as a feeling of, like, it's not worth it. Hopeless, yeah. Right, right. Hopelessness, that's right. Everything I do is not going to make a difference anyway. Yep. What I say isn't going to make a difference. Me me holding space in this world, there's billions of people not going to make a difference. And that's the premise. And the the conclusion is, therefore, nil, we should just end things. And that's where, because you can have the first parts as just intrusive thinking without the ideation. Yeah. If you let it linger and marinate enough, it will become the ideation. Wow. Who supports you? What's your support system like? I'm uh, I'm very lucky. I have have a ton of people who are very supportive. My my, uh, fiance, Kat, has been 
by my side, pushing me to take mental seriously for a long time and cheer me on. Uh, both of my parents, I'm very lucky to have pushing me again, telling me, keep going, right? Take yourself, put yourself first. Don't listen to the system or whatever else it's selling you. Um, and I have many close friends too, who awesome. are open with me, you know, and, and willing to listen and, and uh, do the things that I think, you know, really help give me perspective in my journey. You say that you um, are teaching advocacy and you're, you're, that's what your this next space is for you. And, and how's that going? What's that looking like for you? Uh, it's it, so it's, I sort of dove head in without knowing what I was getting into to some extent. I posted on LinkedIn, essentially my mental health story right after I quit. No idea what was going to happen, but I just thought, you know what? I want the world to have this information. Yep. That's it. Ended up going viral and it kind of sparked in me this deeper realization that I have a voice here that I think can do something. I don't know what, but it can do something. And I think the world needs it right now. Uh, and so I essentially took to social media uh, first, I was writing. Then I took to social media because I found that that's where folks were paying attention, and haven't really looked back. I mean, we're almost at you know I've I've essentially grown, not I, but we have grown a community of like-minded folks to support each other with mental health. We have almost two thousand in a Discord server, almost three hundred thousand on TikTok, um, you know, eight thousand or so on Instagram. Uh, I have a Twitch community now that I'm building, and we're doing mental health and game nights there. So. Aside, for, aside from the community building aspect, the advocacy is, has remained. I mean, I, I, I did a TED talk recently about my own mental health story, the cost of success, and anywhere that I can, I'm hopping on a microphone and I'm yelling into the void to tell people and warn people about this because it needs to be said. You know, there's, um, it's just beautiful to me. I, I, I always appreciate people like you who, it's, it's like alchemy you know, where you take the fire and the pain of this life, you put yourself on that flame and you allow, um, to burn and to, to, to refine and to hone. And I just, I want you to know that, um, like I, I came across you, um, and I went, Oh my God, I, I wonder if he'll have a conversation with me and, and here we are. Oh, you please. Did. I'm honored. I'm and, honored. Lori. Seriously. I'm very, well, honored. it's so cool. And I, and I just, you know, it's a privilege. It's such a privilege and thank you for all your time. And, you know, this is really key. I think this is just so key in development and for people to know, because it is real. As you talk, I hear, I think to myself, Oh, wow. I, uh, I struggle with anxiety. (laughs) I just, you know, it's something that, and now you're making it, your story is allowing me to come closer to a reality that says, yeah, I think I struggle too. Uh, You know, I, I, um, I wish we lived in a world where people could talk about this in the same conversational tone that they talk about having a broken bone, right? And uh, we'll get there. We will. I really believe we will. will. But it's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of conversations like this and and folks like you for having me on. So, well, we can't see it. No one's going to walk up to you and and or look at me right now and say, "Oh, like when I go pick up my daughter from school and say, oh, it looks like you were struggling with anxiety today. How 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 are you doing with that? Like you can't see that. Yeah, yeah. And if you're a people pleaser." Oh my God. You're like, Hey, 
we yeah. got you like this. Yeah. And you, you know, you're doing everything for everybody else, yeah. but you're, you are coming last. Yeah. Yeah. Fully agree. Um, what do you want to say to people as we end? <laughs> Listen, I, um, wherever you are, whenever you are, I just hope, uh, I hope you take a couple minutes out of your day to think about how you manage mental health for yourself. And if you manage it well, I encourage you to teach other people around you and lead by example in, in how you're doing that. Because right now, more than ever, I think the world needs leaders in the mental health space after the insanely traumatic and tumultuous period of history we have lived through with the pandemic. Absolutely. Um, I, should I, if you want, I can also plug my socials and if I would love time. you to do that, sure. I would. Um, so as we end, I would love you to say, you know, all the places where people can find you because sure. uh, we want them to. Yeah, that's very sweet of you. So uh, I'm, I'm Julian Sarafian, S-A-R-A-F-I-A-N. You can find me on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitch. That was a mouthful. Yes, it <laughs> uh, was. <laughs> uh, I will put, I will, I will give Lori my, my beacons link, which also has a link to our discord server, which is public. It's a safe space to talk mental health or just make some friends or do some career networking, learn about law school. If you want, there's a Q and a for me in there. I answer every question for free. Uh, would love to have you. So hope to see all of you guys around, uh, somewhere someday. For those people that are wondering if they could ever talk to you, how does that work? So in our Discord server, there, there is, uh, there's a channel where you can ask me any question. You can also DM me on Discord and I try to get back to people as quickly as I can. I also have a team email, okay. uh, which I'm more responsive at, team at juliansarafian.com. And yeah. it's also going to be in the link to my uh, to, to the Beacons link that I, that I give Lori. So awesome. feel free to email that as well. Well, um, thank you. You've made, um, you've helped me. And um, at the beginning, we talked about, I want to understand and I want you to teach me. And I feel like you have really brought me into that in, um, you know, the 50 minutes that we're together. That was, uh, that was a lot and it was amazing. So thank you so much for being a light and using your experience to empower other people. Thank you so much. You're, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me on, Lori. You're welcome.